Hello, hello. It's Tristan here and Will on the Rebel Health Podcast. And today we have a beautiful man as our guest, Joe Pane. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks, Tristan. Thanks, Will. Appreciate you having me here. No worries. Um, oh, what we'll do for our, um, what we do, welcome, um, like to say our welcoming. I begin um, today to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which we are here at um, Gubby Gubby Land on um, the Sunshine Coast in Coolum. Um, and uh, we pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and I extend the respects to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people here today. All right. For those of you that don't know, Joe is the creator of the Emotional Fitness Hub Formula. And uh, he has a group right now with about 2,000 members. And, uh, and what Joe does is he helps people, businesses. Um, what did you say, Joe? What was the language you used around? <laughs> well, in essence, emotional fitness is about helping people's, you know, improve their relationship with uncertainty. So, mm. you know, whether the uncertainty is in the form of a relationship, whether it's in the marriage, in a business managing a team, financial issues, whatever the, the issue is, there's a way to navigate through those challenging situations, which, you know, uncertainty is never going to go away. So it's just how, how you relate to it, really. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been doing that for 16 years, making a difference in this world through coaching. Yeah, yeah  16 years. That's how I met you. Of course, we were just talking about that before we put, press record. Um, how I met you, you were saying 2014. So. Yeah, that's when I started my journey. And Well, you're, yeah. you're one of about... Literally about 7,000 coaches who I've trained over that period of time. So, wow. uh, no, I've met so many beautiful people and it's great to reconnect with you here. And good to meet you, Will. Yeah, yeah. First time <laughs> meeting uh, Joe, so um, I'm excited to uh, hear the story like you guys will for the first time. And you've just had a birthday too, I see. I've just had a birthday. I've just turned the big five too. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah, and we bought a house. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was all one big, it was a big week. It's all happening at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah good. So you're on the sunny coast. Yeah, on Sunshine Coast, down at Dunan there, so on nice acreage, so um, yeah, far away from everything, but close enough to everything, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful space, and... Um, living on the land? Yeah, living on the land, and uh, got, you know, we've got our 13-year-old twin boys, who I'm sure will love it, and uh, my wife, Silvana, is particularly excited, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, shall we... Uh... Shall we tuck in yeah. into the good yeah, stuff? Yeah, we like the good stuff. Back right at the start. What would you like to know? <laughs> where were you born? born? in 1970. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we want to start. Where, Let's where start at the born? beginning. Yeah. yeah, where, yeah. Where, where did your journey start? Well, I, I've been in Melbourne the whole time. I was yeah. born, bred in Melbourne and left there only five months ago as at the time of this recording. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, went to uni, got majors in psychology and sociology, um, finished up there. In the 90s, it was really hard in Melbourne to actually get a job in, that was related to your university degree. Um, still is, isn't it? Probably still is. And, <laughs> but I was fortunate enough to get a, a, a part-time gig for working for, um, for it was actually a, a, like a national government department doing work-related fatalities research. So that was an awful posting because it was six months where we had to look through all these files looking for evidence or assessing whether the way this person died in their car on the road is that was that a work-related fatality or was it something else or the way that someone passed away under that crane over there was that it was awful because you had to look at all the photos and everything so it was it was um every day it was being faced literally in your face was death and uh, so that was quite challenging 
Um, and then, thankfully, that only lasted six months. And then that, that, that I exited from there. And lucky enough, I got a job as a rehab counsellor at Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm down in Broadmeadows there in Melbourne where they used to make the Ford Falcon. So yeah. um, worked there as a rehab counsellor for two years, hated it. It was a very political job. Um, I had no idea of all the agendas that happen, you know, from all these different perspectives and politics of an organisation like that. So um, all I knew was I wanted to work with people and uh, I needed to get out of big corporate, and I did. And, uh, but I was lost. I didn't really know where to go. So I ended up working for a local real estate office who specialised in uh, mum and dad market. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being there for seven years. Mm. Um, five years was great. The last two years was uh, getting a bit sort of boring. I didn't know why I was bored. And uh, I ended up going on a sabbatical and uh, went off and joined this um, married couple who ran a meditation business. And uh, for two and a half, well, I was with them 15 months, so we did all kinds of things. You know, Vision Quest which yeah. is one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. Um, yeah, yeah. Seven-day silent retreats, um, you know, a whole host of different things, which was, which was great because um, I didn't realise that um, I was starting to wake up, you know, and, and develop my spiritual awareness, emotional well-being, all that kind of stuff. Mm. How old were you? Uh, I would have been... I would have been 34, 33, 34. And then uh, that's when uh, I ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I was welcomed back to my old job which was um, I just didn't fit there anymore and, and that's how then I discovered the coaching thing and in February 2006 I started my, my coaching practice and training and uh, haven't looked back since Yeah, that's how I met you it is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. that's the essence of it fantastic yeah. yeah and when back when you were in the rehab counselling job what skills did you have what did you come out of school with Ignorance. <laughs> it really yeah. was ignorance. I had no idea. Um, literally, I was doing a job that I wasn't trained for. Right. Um, my so- I, I don't know about now, you know, in 2022, but in 1995 or 94, the psychology and sociology majors, were, you, you were just, you, you weren't studying real life cases. You weren't, you, you, you were studying statistics and Marxism and all these different things that I did, I couldn't relate to real life. No, nothing translated to how do I actually make a difference or mm. help someone. So, um, yeah, that didn't. Uh, so I, I, I just barely survived there. I don't even know how. And uh, so I actually didn't know what I was doing. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until I reckon it wasn't until two thousand six when the coaching stuff started that it really I started to find some some genuine meaning. Yeah. 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 Do you find that you've trained a lot of coaches? Does it take time for them to really connect with, you know, the stuff that they're learning and then how to, I mean, I'm sure it's different for everyone, yeah. but I'd love to know. Well, it's such a personal journey. It depends on how, how much life experience that person has, what they've gone through in their life, what wisdom they have created for themselves or not, um, their maturity level, their consciousness. Level. I mean, there's so many things that comes into it. Mm. Um, for me personally, I reckon the sabbatical that I took set me up for coaching massively um where was the sabbatical so with the office was based over in a, in doncaster east in melbourne yeah um but the uh the retreats were in um some place in the high country in victoria where the the great dividing yep. what it range is called what mm-hmm. is that what it's called that's where they held most of the retreats and then the week midweek classes were in doncaster east but uh yeah, the people that I met there and what I, the, the knowledge I was exposed to mm. and, and it's, I reckon the first time 
you know, it was a genuine embracement of uncertainty because um, I left a job that was well paying, you know, all that sort of, it's become cliche now. Oh, I left a high paying job, you know, yeah. went and worked for nothing and I created this. Back then that wasn't a cliche. Back then that was scary because I didn't know anyone else who had done that. Mm. So, um, and then ironically, I find myself in a position of training coaches to, to, to do exactly that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. And then, look, with coaching, it takes, I believe, it takes a number of years to get clear on what problem you actually solve. Mm-hmm. It takes years. It doesn't take... You can get training coaching, absolutely. Can you learn about human behavior and all the patterns? Absolutely. Can you get good at it pretty quick? I think so, yes. But to actually have your own unique sort of perspective on something um, takes time. I mean, it took me until about eight or nine years in where I gained crystalline clarity that emotional fitness was going to be my focus point. And, um, and that was because of all the experiences of being a coach for eight years mm-hmm. led to that. And, um, and that's kind of like where it's led me to today. Yeah, I could, I could totally agree with that. Like, with me being a coach as well, like I didn't know, like I was pretty young. I got into the industry when I was like 19 as a, as a health and fitness coach. And it was, it was oh, when, probably maybe four years ago, I was like, no, nah, this is, I'm not a, like a, you know, you're a stock personal trainer. I'm a, mm. you know, getting into the, the mental, the emotional, as well as the fitness and all that kind of stuff. But really, like you just said then, yeah, just like, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight, even though you think, oh yeah, this is what I do. But looking back on the journey is, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and your, your own priorities and values become clearer as you go through the journey. Mm. And, and, and your values and priorities are continually evolving anyway. So for me, the emotional fitness formula, like the inspiration behind that was being able to teach spiritual principle in business settings and corporate environments where I wouldn't get the woo-woo feedback. I would get feedback that was genuine and useful and for them. Um, <laughs> and, and to understand that, you know, for example, the most powerful force in the human condition, as you probably know, is our sense of identity. So how we actually define ourselves and how the bulk of humanity and how we actually define ourselves, people don't realise, you know, is so temporary. It's actually not the real you. And um, teaching people without saying it, I'll say it here directly, but in a corporate environment, I would never say this because it would be grossly misunderstood. But in essence... To me, emotional fitness is a preparation for death. It's understanding, mm. it's the art of letting go. It's mm. the art of, of slowly letting go of everything to the point where, as, as, it said, as it says in the Catholic system, you know, I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I remember, you know, the rich man, they said, can't go through the eye of a needle. And what they mean by that is not because he's rich, but because of the ego. Mm-hmm. So um, understanding you know, the Jungian work around understanding the four, you know, identity phases that we go through, which is the essence, the, the core ingredient of emotional fitness is understanding how when we're, you know, in a, in, as, as teenagers in, a, in our 20s and our 30s, where what Carl Jung called the athlete archetypes, so we define mm. ourselves by our physicality, uh, not just our bodies, but what do you think? You know, and it's driven by this core driving question of what do you think? What do you think of my body? What do you think of my house? What do you think of my car, my bike, my clothes, my walk, my talk? It's a very egocentric sort of existence. Can I slow you down a yeah. little bit? Yeah. Um, so what um, Joe's talking about, the, the Jung is, is amazing. Can you just, um, just for people that have never heard of sure. it before, because I think yeah. this is like, you can get so much out of this, people that are listening. Just like, 
I know you were just about to go through it, but it was going pretty fast. Yeah. And for someone that doesn't sure. understand it, and I think this is going to be so valuable for people to to um to get. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you could um I don't know outline and then and then go through it. All good. All good. So Carl Jung um was a genuine mystic. He lived in he lived a hundred years ago in the nineteen twenties. Um, he created transpersonal psychology. He was the founder of psychoanalytic um the psychoanalytic movement. Um, by mystic, I mean a genuine mystic is someone who, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but someone who lives on multiple planes at the same time. So he was the one that lived in his body and also had the privilege of seeing the other side of the veil. He, he, he actually had a near-death experience and brought back a lot of wisdom from that experience, amongst other things. And an amazing man. Um, and what he said in essence was that, that uh, all human beings go through the same four identity phases. And uh, this first phase, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, is where it's driven by the core driving psychology of relying, our self-esteem is reliant on other people's opinions of us. So as I was just saying, what do you think of my clothes? What do you think of my car? Etc. And typically, you know, we go through that in our teens, 20s, and, and even in our 30s to some degree. And then as our responsibilities in life expand, marriage, relationship, children, mortgage, house, rent, whatever it might be, we've got different responsibilities. Mm. So we start seeing ourselves differently. And Jung spoke about how we then evolve into the warrior stage. So the warrior stage is driven by the core driving question, what can I get? Now that sounds a little bit negative, but it's actually not. It's like, get the skill, get the experience, get the girl, get the guy, get the wealth, get the whatever you're building. You're building your skill set, your wisdom, your knowledge, your personality, your self-esteem, expression of strengths, getting clear on what they are. And that's where the bulk of humanity in the Western world gets stuck. And so these first two stages, um, if I just temporarily leave the work of Jung, in my work, I call that, uh, this is borrowing words from Wayne Dyer, it's called the ambition-driven world. Mm. And the ambition-driven world, the identity is purely um, egocentric as well, as I just said about the first phase. And, and the warrior archetype, they define themselves by their results. So if my results are dependent on my career, for example, or how well I'm doing in my marriage in comparison to you and to you and to mm -hmm. others, um, and if I start failing at any of those, I then, I then suffer an identity crisis, which in layman's terms, it's known as anxiety issues, depression issues, midlife crisis issues, whatever they might be. But all issues of crisis are a reflection of identity. Do you reckon a lot of people are stuck in this, uh, in this modern age? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the depressions, pills, yes. yeah. Um, yeah, midlife crisis, still at... You know. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll speak of non-clinical disorders because... Non-clinical uh, rather than clinical disorders because yeah. I'm not buying, an expert in... Um, impulsive buying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the human behavioural sort of patterns, but... Um, <clears throat> The emotion of depression and anxiety is misunderstood because people think it's not good when anxiety and depression are actually very healthy responses to difficult situations mm -hmm. that you need to go through. Mm -hmm. And when we go through an identity shift, we go through our own little depression and anxiety because we're grieving the loss of something. Mm -hmm. We're grieving the loss of our old world. Now, the, the biggest jump that you can take in your consciousness and your development of your emotional fitness is when you go from what Jung spoke about from the second to the third phase. That's the most difficult jump. Mm. And that, that's going from what he called the warrior stage, which, which incorporates the athlete. So at this point of our development, we're defining ourselves by our results and by our physicality. Yeah. And then we evolve 
into the doorway that marks what I call the meaning-driven world, mm. which is the statesperson archetype. Yeah. And the statesperson archetype, your life changes because now your, your, your identity is based on your legacy. So the difference, the ripple effect that you're leaving behind. So you're looking for deeper meaning. The irony is that once you go into the meaning-driven world, um, when you're truly, truly ensconced in it, all anxiety and depression evaporates because you begin to live in alignment to nature. Your psychology is in alignment to the tree yeah. because any leaf of any tree, if you could interview the cells, you take a cell out of there, it knows that if it doesn't contribute to the cellular community, its local community, it gets annihilated. It only <laughs> yeah. thrives by giving. Yeah. So as, as our psychology shifts to one of giving, without to, not to the detriment of suffering, yeah. not to the detriment of, well, I've given all this you know, to these people, or to this market, or to this community, and I'm suffering, that's not giving. That's, that's, that's martyrdom yeah. in, in a very elegant, significance-driven kind of look at me, I'm virtual, virtue signaling myself into, into a grave, you know? Would that, would that be like um, you in the, the second archetype and then thinking you're in the third? Is that like a... So when I... I without knowing what I've just shared with you back when I was doing the, the sabbatical... It was me going from warrior archetype into statesperson without knowing what was happening. But it's not as simple as that. Yeah. Because the egocentric definitions of athlete archetype and warrior get integrated. You have to actually integrate ambition into meaning to stay in the meaning-driven world. Mm. If I can speak plainly, it basically means you've still got financial responsibilities. You've still got fatherhood, motherhood responsibilities, business responsibilities, and all the other responsibilities that go with being an adult. So... There's an integration process. Coaching was my integration of, yeah. of making money in a meaningful way rather than making money as a means to an end. Mm, yeah. So, and that's the third phase. Yeah. So do, you want, do you want to say that just one more time just so people can hear that? that yeah. Thing. The integration of ambition into meaning is making money in a meaningful way rather than making money as a means to an end, which is how most people live, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah so it's not that their responsibilities just fade or or all of a sudden taken care of because you've evolved into this meaningful world you're just making money meaningfully and all the responsibilities are still there you're they're completely still, there still honoring them. completely there it's just that your perspective has shifted mm. so um and, and this is not a linear journey you know you don't get to statesman and go <laughs> oh oh i've made it into statesman well the moment you start thinking like that the ego's got you again and you're way back to the yeah. uh, to the first two phases yeah. it's about integration it's about being a human being and then as you, well, what I call, you know, a professional human being. So someone who bases their life more on love than on fear. Because the statesperson archetype, which is driven by the question, what can I give, um, has, has a psychology or a philosophy that is uh, much more mature and more heart-centric mm. versus the egocentric nature of the other two. Now, I don't want to say that, you know, the ambition-driven world is poo-poo and the meaning-driven <laughs> world is wow. It's like you can only stay in the meaning-driven world, as we've just said, if you're integrating, you know, the ambition-driven world into it. So it's redefining success. That's yeah. the essence of my work, right? It's like in the ambition-driven world, success is defined as the accolade of, of one that's award or I've, I've won. You know, I'm the winner. I'm the leader. I'm the biggest. I'm the best. I'm the fastest. Versus the meaning-driven world where success is defined purely by the value you have been to somebody else or not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it changes completely the way you see things. Yeah. And then Jung spoke about the fourth stage, which is what it's all about to me. And that's, um, he defined that 
the identity phase of um, spirit. So the first three phases are psychological identities, which is where we're all stuck. Mm. Um, the fourth phase is the what's what's called um, an existential identity. So your soul, your non-physical, your ethereal, you know, non-physical self, and that's that's the post-life version of you. Mm. And um, and that's what has 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 uh, profounded my curiosity for the last um, six seven years of building this emotional fitness work is to angle everyone toward having an intention to learn how to let go so we can embrace the existential version of us which has been there the whole time mm. and that's a tough journey because ultimately it's letting go of everything that you know which I, I don't know how to do that yet mm. yeah so <laughs> yeah it's yeah. tough it is it's hard isn't it's it? a different planet it's yeah. a different uh, frequency it's a different existence it's the opposite of everything that we're taught and everything that we learn completely yeah so a lot of the practical side of the emotional fitness though is great because you know, I get to teach people how to live as a warrior mm. in a very healthy way, mm. how to live as a states person in a very healthy way. Mm. Most importantly, how to integrate athlete, warrior. For example, as a coach, you've got to look after your body mm. because having a coaching business is not time management, it's energy management. Mm. So the, you've got to look after the athlete archetype within you, which is looking after the nutrition and working out how your body functions and what work, works best for you, all those wonderful things that you, you, you both know better than me. And then, I think you're pretty good at it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you've got to integrate ambition, which is, okay, the ambition of bringing in, uh, metaphorically, meat to your nest. Mm, mm. So my wife, you know, she, you know, she works in my business, but she doesn't have a job out there anywhere. And I've got my two sons, my 13-year-old twin boys. You know, I'm the provider. And uh, so I'm proud to be a very good provider to the nest. So that's the ambition-driven world. So teaching people how to you know, find meaning in their career, make money in a meaningful way, yeah. is, um, is a big part of, um, of, of the journey, I believe. And also, as I said to you, I don't know if it was caught in the recording, but um, have the essence of emotional fitness is teaching people how to boost their relationship with uncertainty because most people mm. have got a very fear-driven, egocentric definition of what uncertainty means because they correlate uncertainty with fear. Mm. You, go, you go and stare at the trees out there or just hang out in nature or watch the waves out there, you'll begin to realize that nature correlates uncertainty with growth. Yeah. Because mm. nature looks at an obstacle and says, doesn't say, oh my God, I, I don't know if I'm enough for this obstacle. <laughs> it just handles it. It just goes over it, around it, through it. It just makes it, it grows its way around it, through it or above it. And yeah. um, so the moment we start correlating uncertainty with growth is the moment that... Not only does our language change, but our psychology changes and everything else changes with it. So I said a lot there. <laughs> and that's why you're listening. We bring, that's why you're here. Yeah. That's it. That was, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a uh, psychology 101 right there. I yeah. love the clarity of it, Joe. And, um, and obviously you've worked on this a lot for a lifetime. Yeah. And, um, but I just love the clarity of how simple it is well it's like it's like anything in life you know um you know if, if we've got a, a safe sitting on this table which we don't but if we did it's pretty hard to open that bloody thing mm-hmm. but if if suddenly you know will comes along and says well here's the four digit code <laughs> it's really really easy yeah. and, and and basic everyday mindset living psychological whatever you want when you understand the codes of how everything's constructed um life is easier you get you gain that clarity you know 
that clarity of not where you're going because that's where people get caught up it's like I need to get clear on where I'm going it's like no you'll never have that you'll, you only get that when you're moving through the air and you're taking action toward whatever it is you want to create it's having clarity of who you're becoming and who you currently are where are you at in the identity journey um, and the life stage journey and when you've got that clarity because once you know once you know who you are right now and what your values are you've got no problems you can handle anything mm. you can handle anything that time in your life when you were uh, doing your sabbatical that was a big growth time yeah I had no idea what was going on mm. that was the first time in my life at the age of 34, 35 where without even knowing it because I, I, w- I wouldn't have had this language back then but it was the first time ever I actually trusted my heart <laughs> it was the first time I wasn't following my head I was following my soul mm. it's like us moving from Melbourne which we'd been in all of our lives and happily living in Mooney Ponds so there are six k's out from the city and all that I was happy as you know we were happy um, moving to the sunny coast was a, a soul decision it wasn't a, a decision from the head because mm. my head was saying this doesn't make any sense why would you want to do that you're happy here you got, you're established you got this you got that it had like a thousand different benefits but the soul was saying, it's time to move on. Mm. And then when I started thinking about my message to my market and to my guys that are in my, in my program, it's like, well, this is a macro example of letting go. Mm. So, okay, you can't let go of your body or you can't let go of your personality yet. You don't know what, even know what that even means. It's me talking to myself. But you can let go of your old lifestyle and embrace a new one. Far out, if you can't do that, then how are you going to continue to progress in this journey? Mm. So, and as it turns out, gee, I, I tell you what, the, um, the joy that we've felt since moving here, you know, mm. um, is beyond language. Mm. It's amazing. And my business has taken off to another level because of it. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it's pulling everyone here that needs to be here because uh, as soon as I landed, because I live in Melbourne, Tassie. We decided to come Sorry to, to hear this. Yeah. And then uh no yeah. offense to the novel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um as soon as um as soon as we got here, man, it would have been within four days, I was like, This feels like home. Yeah. This is this is home. Yeah. yeah. And um yeah, it's pulling yeah, it's everyone. It's like when here, you meet the it? right person, it's like when you meet the right uh, you know. Like even with us, you know, it's like when you meet the right home, you know, we've been looking mm. for a house and we finally met the right home a couple of weeks ago and yeah, amazing. You just you just know. So it's having that faith of following that soul. It's it's what in, in my work I call following your your emotional compass because your emotional compass are your values and your values don't live in your head. It's not something you get from a list in a book. Are books useful for values? Absolutely. They can trigger off language, memory in your mind to go, oh, that's the word that describes how I feel about that. They can help like that. But your values are something you're born with and they're there to be discovered. And the way that you discover those is by getting to know who you are but also making decisions like you've made Will, mm. to, to move to, to here, we, here we are at Coolum Beach it's for you to move here and you, as you said it felt like home after four weeks well that's four days four days rather <laughs> that's super quick yeah it was quick yeah and, uh, but that's, that's a way of you saying to yourself okay well you know I'm following I'm following the compass that's within me which yeah. is which it is was, the values yeah. that you're born with it was yeah yeah, yeah. your values are to be discovered not to be found out there mm. Mm. yeah so Hang on, I want to get back to this sabbatical. <laughs> oh, so, so yeah, I think we've jumped. I think we've jumped a bit of a skip here. Okay, I want to see what Joe. We want to get into looking at the dead people and you know, 
Yeah, sure. Even <laughs> ask me whatever you like. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we could even go back to with sort of what you a, a question did pop up before is when you um, everything that we know now do the opposite as going through the schooling system mm. and the university system. Mm-hmm. What are your thought like? How do you think that is taught? Should change or anything like that? Do you have any views on that from? You know, well, it's cookie your... cutter. I mean, uh, I'm, I'll speak ignorantly here, but my, my sons are in year eight and they're, they're, they're okay at school. They're not, they're not uh, you know, um, uh, what do you call academic? They're not that way inclined. But um, the schooling, what I've noticed as a parent is that there's been heaps of kids that just don't fit in because of, of you know, they call it learning difficulties, but they're just, they're just different. It's a different generation. The schooling system is about two generations behind. And I say to my sons, uni is only useful if it's going to teach you a specific skill that you want to do. So if you want to, if you want to become an engineer, you need to go to uni. If you want to become some kind of medical person, you have to go to uni. But back in the day when I just did a Bachelor of Arts just you know, in psych and sociology, unless I continued to become a registered psychologist, which I'm not, um, I said it's a waste of time, especially mm. these days when you walk out of there with a $100,000 hex debt with nothing mm. to show for it, mm. no assets, nothing. So I don't know if I'm answering your question here, but... Um, you know, there's, yeah, there's different challenges in, 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 in the year 2022 compared to the 80s and 90s when I was, you know, in the middle of school and uni and all that kind of thing. So I'm not, I, I've got a feeling I'm not answering your question. I might have misunderstood what you're asking. No, I, I think that was, I probably answered, I asked two questions within that. That, that, that bit was good. I just wanted to see your perspective as, yeah. as you, as Joe the coach. Yeah. Uh, now, looking back on it. Yeah. Um, well, how did you fit into school? Yourself, your journey through school. Back in uh, the eighties, right? There were the Wogs and the Aussies. Yeah. And I'm qualified to use the word Wog because I'm third generation Italian. So, but I look like an Aussie. So I had the unique uh, um, thing that I could go and hang out with the Wogs and be accepted because they knew me as an Italian, uh, and I could hang out with the Aussies because of how I look. So <laughs> I was never picked on. I seemed to just surf through all the dramas without getting touched. So. Um, and I kept to myself a lot. And I had a couple of my close friends that are still close friends today. So I just got through school barely. I failed year 12 because I thought I could pass without studying. Uh, that didn't work out too well. So then my parents sent me back to another school to repeat year 12, which is what I did. And I just wrote, learned everything and just got through. Um, yep. And then that scraped me into um, RMIT, which was the Bachelor of Applied Chemistry in food science and technology, which I discovered after a year was not familiar. <laughs> and, and How'd that, you get in there? How, that was the only course I could get into with my low marks. Oh yeah. And then and then yeah. I and then from there I I just I was I went and visited this psychologist at Deakin University who was a senior lecturer there. I just kept visiting him, just selling to him to get me in, because uh, yeah. I desperately wanted to leave. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he finally accepted me, and I didn't, I got into a course that was well above my my mark grades uh, whatever the, I'm not saying that properly you know what I mean like I didn't I, was yeah no like a, yeah, an enter school enter school yeah yeah so yeah look it's um, yeah I, I just got through and I had no idea what I was doing the thing is this that you know most people as you know I think it was Emerson I can't remember who said it uh, you know most most men and women live lives of quiet desperation mm. well I was in a quiet desperate state for many many years because uh, you get sucked into how everything looks like on the outside and it's really easy to compare the darkest inner version of you to the brightest external version of somebody else 
And when you do that, you're asking for trouble. So that's what I was doing for a long time. I was comparing all the foibles and fears and vulnerabilities of the inner world that I didn't know anyone else had yeah. to the external of how great you look and your life looks on the outside. It's like, mm. oh my God, I'm just not enough for this life. And then when I got into coaching, I got taught about how it's normal to have these universal fears. You know, the fear yeah. of not being enough, the fear of not being found out and all that kind of thing. So the fear of being found out rather. Um, and along with other fears. And uh, that kind of validated my experience. So yeah, I don't know, I just got through. I just got through quietly, invisibly. And uh, and now, you know, with my career, I'm like the opposite of all of that. So mm. yeah, it's unreal. I'm, I'm, I'm a late bloomer, Will. Yeah, you like late bloomers. <laughs> well, you yeah. bloom whenever, yeah. yeah. You bloom that's when it. it's time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You had questions about the sabbatical? Anyone I do, to ask yeah. About death? <laughs> <laughs> I was getting, yeah, I was getting up to that one, and leading up to the sabbatical. Like, what mm. what led you to that sabbatical? Yeah, so um, I didn't know that I was uh, having an identity crisis. I didn't even know this language even existed. So I was in the ambition-driven world for seven years, first five years in the real estate job. Loved it. Loved the awards, the rewards, the accolade, the significance, or the money, the whole thing. And then just, I don't know, over, when I say overnight, not literally, but in the space of a, of a year or so, it suddenly, what used to excite me, didn't excite me anymore. Yeah. It didn't excite me to go and get another car or this or that. Um, it's like, is this it? Is this what you do now? You just buy a bigger car and you dream of a bigger house and all that kind of thing. And it just didn't resonate yeah. at so all. So you were at what, 34, 35? Yeah, about that. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then... Uh, a friend of Silvana's, Silvana's my wife, a friend of Silvana's was over and she's normally quite reserved and quiet, but she was being really... Silvana vivacious. or your friend? Silvana's friend. Oh, no, right. Silvana's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Silvana's friend, normally quiet woman, was all perky and excited and yeah. carrying on like the proverbial, you know, <laughs> and then And then I said to her, so what's going on, you know? like, And, and she, um, she was sharing how she went on this retreat, this meditation retreat. Yeah. And so then she told me who the people were that were running it. I went to their website. I remember calling them um, and uh, speaking to the director who just happened to answer the phone. And uh, I just said words to this lady that I'd never said to another human being in my life, which was, um, you know, I'll come and work for you for nothing. If you don't have a job, you know, it's, I'll do that. And yeah. That was the essence of the call. And um, yeah, it was just a really scary time for a few months because I didn't know what was going on. I was, you know just driving down the road, pulling over and just overwhelmed with emotion and just crying, but not really knowing why I was crying. Yeah. Um, but what it was, was like the shedding of a skin, if you like, mm. but I didn't know what was going on. It's like a snake who's getting rid of its skin and doesn't know oh, what's happening. Is this what meant to happen? Is this nature? Um, and thankfully because of the, of where I was going with this uh, couple, their name is Michael and Marlies Carroll. They're now retired. Um, they were explaining to me what I was going through. It's like, oh my God. And uh, whereas if I didn't have that, and if I, all I knew was mainstream medicine and mainstream mm. narrative and mainstream approach, I would be medicated. Yeah. I seriously would be medicated. Yeah, so, yeah, it's crazy how they do that. Yeah. So with, with you just about to go, you know, were you in the athlete mode or the warrior mode? Like, where do you reckon you'll sit in? Swing between both. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, no idea that that was happening. No idea. Yeah. No idea. And then, um, yeah. And then the the actual, you know, retreats themselves, which were highly experiential, um, 
were completely and utterly foreign to me. Eating vegan for seven days was utterly foreign to me. Sitting in the middle of a medicine wheel in the middle of the Grampians uh, for 72 hours straight where you can't sleep or eat or write or read or anything, just be with the trees, was grossly unfamiliar to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that changed my life. You know, can you, um, can you speak about that more? I can. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, there's yeah. no, like, yeah, yeah, man, I would love to dive into that. Yeah, if you like. Yeah. If you like. Oh. So as part of our, so so b- b- working in the sabbatical, I ended up getting a diploma as a meditation teacher. So, and I don't practice as a meditation teacher. I practice as an emotional fitness person. So um, as part of that diploma, we had to do the five days. Mm. So the, the diploma, which doesn't exist anymore, in case people ask you, where can I do that? It doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Um, they, uh, they would ask us to do these experiential workshops because they felt that to become a true teacher, you need to have come from the experience of it, mm. not just knowledge. So the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is just gathering information, which is interesting and fun. Wisdom is being it and living it and experiencing it. So they were into becoming wise, if that makes sense, rather than just a knowledge gatherer. So the, um, the, the vision quest, which is a five-day uh, experience, um, we had to go through fasting and cleansing, which I'd never even heard of those words back then. Um, we had to eat, uh, you know, very cleanly for, for a week heading into this. Yeah. I didn't actually know why. Um, mild panic set. Uh, so I was driving to the Grampians. This is in Melbourne. So Ballarat was one of the main stop on the way to the Grampians. And uh, me and four other people in the course, right? And uh, we're all going, you know, this, what are we doing? You know, this is crazy shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and one of the girls said... Sounds exciting to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting, but crazy. Yeah. It was exciting, yeah. But one of the girls said, oh, can I swear on him? Oh, fuck <laughs> Well, one of the girls said, fuck it, let's just get some cake. So uh, we yeah. had some cake, which we shouldn't have done. Um, and anyway, we had this, we had the sugar hit and then we, we get to the Grampians and there's a, a shaman there, like a genuine, like a real deal shaman guy. Yeah. I didn't know anything about this at the time. I didn't know anything other than this man was very gentle and loving and forceful at the same time. And, um, and he sat us around on this, uh, under this tent thing and just started, uh, they were cooking some food. I can't remember what it was. But it was just, it was just a gathering of conversation. He was pretty much pre-framing the whole five days. Um, and it was a real campsite, meaning no barbecues, no toilets, no running, no running water, no power. It was a pure forest. And uh, I'd never been camping before like that. And uh, so they just told us where to set up our tents. We were sort of shown how to set up our tents because I'd never done one. And so I did with this, uh, I was partnered up with this guy. They sat us around after we set up our tents and they said, okay, the first thing we're doing tomorrow is we're doing a... Um, uh, what do you call it when you sit in a hot tent? Yeah. Oh my God, I've lost the language. Um, oh man, I even uh, sweat. Lodge. Sweat lodge, sweat lodge. Sweat lodge. Yeah. And uh, so we we did this sweat lodge the next morning, oh. and it was um, it was ridiculously hot, like <laughs> so hot that a couple of people lost their consciousness, they mm. fainted. Mm. And so you do a you do a, a circle of gratitude. There was about twenty of us sitting in this thing. It was really really hot. Uh, and you go around, every person had to express something that they're grateful for in life. And as I, I don't know whether you've heard this story before, uh, you know. Not so far. Yeah. So there was, there's always one that carries on. 
about something in life, right? So there's this one chick, she was saying thank you and, gra- and she was grateful for all these things. She yeah. was carrying on and on and on and on. It was going for, it was going for ages. <laughs> in the meantime, the girl opposite us fainted and I sort of <laughs> nudged her and I said, listen, she's fainted, just can you get on with it? And uh, so it got to my turn. I just, I'm grateful for my life. Thank you. And I just moved on to the next one. <laughs> I, like, I just want to get out of here. Because yeah. every time they did a circuit, yeah. they would open the way, the, the, um, the, the, the tent um, Door, door. The, yeah, the yeah. flap, the flap, and this air would rush in. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and so we did three cycles of that. Yeah. And so when we came out of there, that was meant to be a cleansing process. Mm. We were already told in advance that after that, you're going to be starting your vision quest. You're going to be going out, picking a little plot of land where you can't be within earshot or um, eye shot. You can't see anyone. You can't hear anyone. You have to pick something private out in the bush. The shaman reassured us that he would know where all of us are. We had a whistle as a press emergency glass button if yeah. we panicked and we needed some help. Yeah. Um, all we had was 10 litres of water and layers of clothes because in the Grampians in November, mm. it gets to 22 degrees in the afternoon and four degrees at night mm. kind of thing. So um, yeah, so we finished our sweat lodge and slowly we got our gear together. I was in an altered state already because I was um, eating food I was unfamiliar with. I wasn't familiar with eating that clean yeah. other than the cake on the way up. Uh, and uh, the sweat lodge was quite... Um, it's intense. It's intense. Yeah. So then we got our gear. We went out into the forest. I found a spot. You, you, you mark a circle that can't be bigger in diameter than the length of your body because you're not allowed to lie down. Some people cheated. They made massive circles and they just made little, little um, hammocks, which is just defeating the whole purpose of what's the point. Uh, but anyway, I just followed the rules. And uh, you put stones in the, into a circle. Traditionally, it's uh, bones. So we did sticks and stones. Uh, and I just sat there. And I thought, okay, now what? So as I said earlier, you're not allowed to bring any books. You, can't, there's no, you, don't, you don't have a watch because the last thing you want to do is look at a watch when, you've been, when you're going to be sitting there for 72 hours. <laughs> no phones. We had no iPhones back then anyway. Um, no journals, no pens, no nothing. Just you, the water, your clothing, your layers of clothing, and the forest. And uh, so I just sat there. I, mean, I remember it was a Saturday because that's no Saturday. Tent. No tent. Yeah. You were just you and you were, you're, down. You're, no. So then um, uh, it was a Saturday. Awesome. I, I, I love <laughs> it. I love it. I'm like, <laughs> epic. We're going to start one. Yeah. Well, you should. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, so that was, it was a Saturday because I remember that because it was, I was invited to a very good friend's birthday party. And, uh, and trying to explain to them what I was doing and why I couldn't get to the party was just beyond their understanding, beyond my own understanding. Why would you do that? Yeah, I was asking <laughs> yeah. myself the same question. So, um, so we sat there and it started getting dark and in the darkness, we're in the middle of a moon cycle, so it was really dark. And, uh, and I was thinking, I've got to go. I've just got to leave. I can't, this is not, you know. So Hall's Gap was at the bottom of these ranges that we were sort of sitting on. And uh, I thought, I'll just go and rent a motel and I'll wait for everyone to finish. But they'd confiscated our car keys because they didn't want us to drive in an altered state of consciousness. It was pitch black. I had no idea how to get back there anyway. So my ego was like screaming because it was like, you got no choice, man. Like, you, you leave this circle, you're going to be lost in a heartbeat. You don't even know where the car is. And then how are you going to get the keys? And where the hell are you going to go? You know, you don't even know what time it is, you know. So I just sat there. And then it started to rain. <laughs> I was going to say to you, it started raining. It started to rain. And, uh, and that's when um, I got really angry. And I just started to really swear out loud. I just lost the plot. Um, all that got out, that got released, which was a good thing. 
without knowing I was letting go of something or whatever it was and um, just sat there and just saw it through and luckily it didn't rain heavily it just sort of rained lightly and on and off and then all I know is my memory says I just I, I stayed awake the whole time and then the light came obviously eight hours later and I thought okay that's done I'm going because I can see mm. and I left my circle and uh, walked back to the camp and the shaman's looking at me he says what are you doing he says I'm going home he goes you can't go home I said no I'm going home I'm going I'll stay in the motel in the hall's gap he goes no you, you, you can't leave he said have you slept I said no and obviously I hadn't eaten and uh, he goes no you, you, you can't go and I said um, I said well I don't I can know where my circle is it's somewhere out there he goes that's okay we'll put you in the sweat lodge I said you're kidding me he goes no it won't be hot it'll be just closed I said so now I'm going from an open circle where I can see the forest and the trees and the birds and everything I'm going to go into a tent he goes well this is your this is what you've called to yourself so this is what we're doing so I think he, he put the me in the sweat lodge yeah he put, me in the sweat. Yeah. he put me in the sweat lodge and I sat on the edge of the sweat lodge and uh, sat through the day the night came and uh, I started that was when the hallucinations began so that's that's what the purpose of it all is is that the chemicals in your body alter naturally DMT ish I, I don't know I've never had drugs so I don't actually know I've got nothing to compare it to but I was definitely hallucinating because the forest floor became this massive black and white tiled floor and you know the trees were talking to me and they were transforming into characters it was just yeah. really weird never experienced anything like this before in my life um, and as I sat there looking at all these weird wonderful characters there was a breath breathing in the back of my neck just here on my right side and I knew there was no one in the tent but I was shit scared and then but it was funny it was a gentle feminine energy that was blowing on my neck and it was I could feel it was my daughter that wasn't born yet, mm -hmm. right? That was my ego labeling it as my daughter. As it turns out, now that my two sons are born and we don't have any daughters, um, it's the energy of my son, Nicholas, who has uh, got a very strong feminine energy. Mm -hmm. That's who it was. Anyway, and um, so I had this experience. The hallucinations became more intense. Couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. So I let myself go to sleep. Mm. And I fell asleep. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. The hallucinations disappeared because the chemicals had changed in my body. And I sat there. The morning was coming. I thought, this has got to be it. We've got to be going now. It's like, oh, fuck no. I've got another day and another night. Oh, my God. So then the shaman comes over, checking in. Yeah, uh, I fell asleep. Most of the camp had fallen asleep. Because uh, it's pretty hard when you haven't done this work before after 48 hours of sitting still looking at trees mm. trying to stay awake and you've you got nothing to entertain yourself with because that's not the point. So then he said, okay, so they created a big medicine wheel for the entire group at the beginning of the camp. Mm. He said, well, I'm going to move you out of the um, sweat lodge. I'm going to put you in the middle of that circle. You have to stay there until we finish in 36 hours. So he put me there and it was a beautiful day. Just sat there and then... The night came and it was still really pitch black, black dark and I felt a different level of vulnerability because I could hear animals in the bush and I could hear the thump of a kangaroo jumping toward me. I thought, that's it, this is, I'm going to die in such a weird way. People aren't going to even... How did you die? While I was sitting in the middle of... You know, how do you explain that? Right? <laughs> so, um, and the kangaroo just sort of passed me 
obviously it saw me, maybe it didn't, I don't know, it just passed me and some other animals were around there, but this wheel was magical, so it must have been protecting me, I guess. Um, and I stayed up that night and um, I wanted to get back into the hallucinative state, but I'd slept for too long and yeah. not enough time had gone by, but I stayed up and I got through and the next morning, I didn't know it was about enlightenment, I didn't know it was about waking up. For me, it was like survival. It was like, let's just get through this shit. And um, I did. And uh, we stayed on, we then we stayed in camp for the 24 hours because you had to eat a bit and get back, you just, you know, ground yourself. But after doing that, it was more difficult than any marathon I've run or anything like that. It, it was one of the most difficult things I've done in my life, which I didn't know at the time, but it just shifted so much for me because temporarily I had to let go of everything in my life to stay in that wheel. Mm. Everything, you know? And um, it was an amazing experience. Uh, it's fading. The, mem- the detailed memory is fading because it's mm. been, you know, that was 2004, so 18 years ago. Um, but then a few weeks later after that, we did a seven-day silent retreat. I feel a reunion coming. Yeah. 20-year oh, reunion. We were meant to have a yeah. reunion, but it never happened. But, uh, yeah, it was... Look, and we did lots of stuff like that over the 15-month period, 12-month mm. period. And uh, what it did was it taught me how to get comfortable with being in my own skin. It taught me how to be okay to be alone but without feeling lonely. Um, it taught me how to be with people in a more deeper way rather than just sort of, you know, being on a superficial level. Mm. Um, it accelerated. It was, it was all wisdom building, not knowledge building. Mm. And mm. Um, so I couldn't put language to it. All I knew was something shifted within me. And I was falling in love with everything. Like when I was leaving these retreats, you know, all this, the, the street signs, you'd, see, you'd read them with love, you yeah. know. Yeah. So it's like, I can't remember, some car, yard, some car advertisement, and the way it read to me was like, God was talking to me. It's like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> it was a, an ad for Mazda or something, right? And yeah. um, it was just beautiful. And, uh, and unfortunately, as I said earlier, I was running out of money, so I had to go back to my old job. And, all, and I lasted in my old job for nine months and all those feelings were disappearing because I was mm. back in that world of ambition. Mm. Um, and then when I saw this coaching ad to come to an information night, which is what I did, and that's where I signed up and became and started running my own business, uh, doing the course and all that kind of thing, um, all of this sabbatical stuff contributed massively to when I became a coach because um, I reckon... I reckon doing those five days and the seven days here and the three days there and all that kind of stuff that we did would be a lifetime of reading yeah. <laughs> in terms of the experiential side. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and my wife did it as well the, the, next, the following year. Yeah. She was inspired to follow the steps of what I went through and, and uh, I reckon that's one of the reasons why 25 years later we're still genuinely happily married because yeah. of what we learned there. Yeah, what an incredible woman she is to support you through that whole process because you would have been just shedding so much and changing in so many ways yeah well it was scary for both of us it yeah. was scary for her because she thought she was losing her husband it was scary for me because I thought I was losing myself <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when she went and did it all we could really talk about it yeah you know oh do you remember the second night and it was like I knew exactly what she was talking about yeah um, and uh, did she stay awake the whole time though she fell asleep on the third day similar to me yeah, yeah. Um, but she she got through that the seven day silent treat was amazing we did a lot of breath work yeah. Um, a lot of altered states of consciousness in a very natural way. It was yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah, so that's... All of that stuff has significantly contributed to, you know, all the emotional fitness work I do these days because um, 
you know, I realized there's only one thing that matters, and that is, do you know who you are? Do you know? Yeah. You know, as Ram Dass says, all we're doing is walking each other home. Yeah. You yeah. Know, are you aware of that? Yeah. So. And yeah. to yeah. <laughs> the um, you've got such a, a certainty about you and, and a joy and a love. You're at this state where you've been through so much. Um, but so much of it, you seem to be, I guess, the first 35 years were, were really challenging. You were, you were lost and you were figuring stuff out. No and, idea. and that's totally normal, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then you've learned to establish this set of values that, that guides you and learned a lot through this meditation course that's serving you now. Yeah. Um, how do you go from being really lost like that and, and moving through it like it obviously just didn't happen overnight for you what was some of the real pain and, and suffering that you experienced and, and do you remember that not that I want to make you feel bad it was just a profound level of loneliness that I had for so long like I remember I'd go to a family picnic during the day with mum and dad and my cousins and all that kind of thing and then I'd be at home at night in bed, falling asleep, reflecting on, oh, gee, you were, you walked, you know, you were by yourself in that moment. You were by yourself. Like I was scared to be alone. Mm. And, and, and I remember when we'd go away on um, these picnics, you know, we'd play footy in this oval, you know, this patch of grass, and the footy will get kicked into the bush by mistake. And I'd go into the bush to find it. And in my, in my at bed at night, I'd be thinking, you were alone in that bush today looking for that ball and I'd get so scared, mm. right? So there was this profundity to this loneliness that was, and I had no language. I had no idea what the, what was going on. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I got distracted by healthy things mm. instead of being distracted by drugs or, you know, alcohol or anything like that. Mm. I got distracted by my fascination into personal development. Mm. When I started reading things like Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar and all these kinds of people back in the 80s and 90s or 90s, um, I don't know, I just started reading those books. My, 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 my home, my household, I was fortunate to have, you know, a reasonably functional family in the sense that my mum and dad, my dad was a mechanic, ran his own business. Uh, mum was a home, uh, home mum full time. Me and my sister, there was a consistency in our environment. Yeah. And so that helped a lot. Mm. But I, I always was curious about what I could become. There was this weird ass sort of subtle back of the mind, deep in the heart, sort of like there's something unique. I remember coming across the words of, um, of uh, the Lebanese philosopher uh, who wrote The Prophet, Khalil Gibran. He said that when you're born, your work is placed in your heart. Mm. Your mission is to find what that is. Mm. When I came across those words, that, that, that one statement from Kilo Durant summarized my entire life up until there. It was like, oh my God. And then I remember in 1996 or 1995 when Sylvain and I bought our, our block of land and we got married in 96 and in 95 we were building this house. And uh, my dad and one of the tradies had an argument over some crap superficial thing. And I remember splitting that argument up in a very passive kind, patient kind of a way. And when I experienced myself in that capacity for the first time, it was like, and it felt really good. I thought there's something in that. I don't know what that is, but there's something in that. So the point I'm making is for anyone who's listening is that have a sensitivity and bring awareness 
to what seems to flow and come naturally for you that you seem to be good at? What is your superpower? But you discover your superpower through subtleties, mm. not through ego. Mm. It's through the subtleties. And listen to the feedback that your life is giving you. Mm. And then have the wisdom to go, hold on. Well, the feedback I'm getting from, you know, from Tristan, is it accurate? Well, if it's accurate, then take it on board. If it's inaccurate, dismiss it and move on. Mm. Um, and uh, your heart tells you whether it's accurate or not. So I, I was sort of, when I was working as a rehab counselor at Ford, even though it was all very political, I knew that my heart was in the right place. I knew that. My yeah. first ever girlfriend that I had said to me, oh, you've got a good heart. And she has no idea how much that meant to me when she said that. First time in my life I'd heard that. And, that's, and then I thought, okay, well, you need to be loyal to that and loyal to whatever it is you can bring into the world. And um, when coaching came along, I thought, oh my God, you're kidding me, a personal development business? You can do that for a living? <laughs> um, there's that side of things. And the other part is you just gotta be surrounded by the right people. Yeah. If, you're, if you're surrounded by people who don't understand you, who have got a gross values mismatch, it's bloody hard. It it's is, bloody yeah. hard. So you've got to be surrounded by the right people. And fortunately, my wife, you know, Sylve, she, she not only came along on my ride, but she also embraced her own ride as well, you know, her development and growth. And uh, yeah, so I don't know if I've answered your question, but it's the subtlety of looking out for what seems to come naturally to you that you're good at. Mm, you know, yeah. whether, whether that's an artistic thing, an emotional thing, an awareness thing, a musical thing, a physical thing, you know, an art, uh, you know a spiritual thing, a philosophical thing. Something. Um, so I don't know if I've answered your question, but uh, yeah. Well, I think you did, and I think the original question was was really around you know some of the unless I've totally lost track, but around some of the pain and suffering that you've that you've gone through, and um, yeah. That, well, I've got to tell you this. And... Yeah, the loneliness was the biggest thing, but I, I've I haven't really had a painful life. I mean, I don't know what it is, but whenever I go down the wrong path. I learn my lesson pretty quick. Like, I don't need to repeat it. I don't need to go through that drama. I mean, don't need to experience it more over than... Over and over no, and over again. No, mm. and that's And that's... And the other thing is, you know, living a life with a cupboard that has no skeletons, I can't tell you what it does for your certainty. I can't tell you what it does for what you bring because... As a parent, if you don't bring certainty, your, your children won't follow you. Yeah. You know, even in marriage and in any part of life, if you're, if you're lacking certainty, it's very difficult to gain that clarity of who you are, you know? So, uh, yeah. Mm. You, um, you speak of living through the heart. Um, someone listening to this for the first time of this language that we're using, because I'm sure there's going to be people like that, do you have do you have a way of a technique so people could maybe start tapping into or you know Joe speaking about living through the heart um, how do they tap into that well one of the ways of tapping into that is through language is yeah. through being aware of the words that you choose to describe the perception of experience so in life all we have is our perception all we have is our perception of experience it's all we've got nothing for no, nothing more nothing less but the perception is constructed by language. Sorry, man. Man, I was just going to say one of the one of my first memories of you at your teacher trainings was your words create your world. Yeah, and yeah. I've never forgotten that. And yeah, just something about it just stuck with completely, me completely. To bring awareness to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the words that you 
with awareness that you choose to describe your experiences make a massive difference to how you feel. Mm. So if you think about it from a science perspective, I'm not a scientist, but you know, it's true that you know, everything in the universe is energy, everything. And energy is always moving, it doesn't stop. Energy is always transforming from one form to another, it's always moving. And the scientists call movement of energy vibration, and how fast that vibration is moving, they call it a frequency. And then this frequency matches that frequency. So if I'm tuning into 1980s music and that radio over there, it's because I'm tuning into the frequency of what that station is bringing. Words and language have their own frequency, have their own feeling, have their own vibe. So if I'm starting my own coaching business, for example, or you know, learning something new, and I label it as hard, mm. is that the best word I could choose? Or let's choose a word that's more accurate. So if I'm learning to start my own coaching business and I'm saying to myself, this is hard, well, hard has got a different vibe compared to the truth, which is that it's unfamiliar. Mm. So if I'm saying to myself, gee, starting my coaching business, this is really bloody unfamiliar, is a different frequency, it's a different vibration, it's a different energy, it's a different emotional state compared to hard. Yeah, yes. I, I could just feel that just then when, in, when you were talking about it, the energy in this room anyway, you were saying hard and it was a little bit dark and stuff and yeah. then um, unfamiliar and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know if you picked that up on the uh, podcast, but... Yeah. Well, it brings a sense of curiosity, doesn't it? And mm. Yeah. It's all of those things and, and so, and also saying things as you want them, not as you don't want them. You know, oh, I don't want to feel depressed anymore. Well, it's not quite. You know, you don't go. You don't. You don't go from that to say I want to feel happy. But you know, I want to. I want to experience fulfillment. Or you. You want to start putting language to what you want to create in your life. And um, I think having that linguistic awareness is m- massive when it comes to your experience of all perceptions of all realities that you're having. Yeah. So. Um, Absolutely. So language. yeah. So so it's the language. So if you're if you catch yourself saying, "Oh, fuck, I've got to go to work again today," you're not doing the the job of from your heart. No, it's a means to yeah. ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, oh man, I, oh, I'm going out. I can't believe I bloody drank last night. Or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, like just yeah. Or, little... or it's it's like replacing that with you know, and this is not just basic reframing. It's just putting language into your life that's taking you to where you want to be rather than where you don't want to be, right? So it's like, well, that didn't work too well last night. I don't think I'll be doing that again. Yeah, it's treating yourself with that kind of kindness rather than beating yourself up with what's already happened and done. Yeah, because I um, would use the the ladder like, oh, you bloody idiot, you've done it again. Instead of, you know, like you just said, oh, well, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't the best. Maybe we should... You know, leave that one. Look at something different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's being gentle with your soul, you know? Yeah, loving. Uh, yeah, yeah, loving. From the heart. Yeah, so, uh, no, language is, is massive, you know? The, the other language is also, you know, minimizer, minimizer language. So there's, there's words that people use to unintentionally minimize what matters in their life. So, for example, you know, when someone says, oh, that's just my wife calling. It's like, well, hold on, it's not just your wife calling, it's your wife calling. You know, yeah. not just, just minimizes that. Yeah. Or if I say to myself, um, you know, um, it's only, you know, it's only my son playing over there. It's like, well, it's not only your son, it's your son playing over there. Yeah. So just having this awareness and there's a whole, you know, range of language that you can introduce into your awareness that changes the way you feel, literally. Yeah. Uh, as you said, the, the frequency of hard versus the frequency of unfamiliar is completely different. Yeah. So... Your values, 
you're obviously defining them and getting clear on what they are. Have you noticed that they've changed over the years and do you have to keep checking in on them and yeah, sort of I, tapping I, into that what, frequency? What I found is that the way that the values are met has changed, not so much the values themselves. Like I think I've, I've valued health and vitality for a long time, for, yeah. for as long as I can remember. Gratitude and appreciation for as long as I can remember. Wisdom is for as long as I can remember. Fun, all that kind of stuff. Freedom, um, as long as I can remember. But it's how those values are met mm. that is continually evolving. Now, in some cases, people's values do actually evolve and change completely on a, on a macro level. That's possible, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I don't know, from my, my experience has been, it's been how that's been met. So health and vitality in the early days, you know, was being met purely through, you know, physicality, you know. And then later it became more, well, what about your spiritual health and, health and, health and vitality? What about your emotional health and vitality? Mm. What about your relationship health and vitality? Mm-hmm. So it became expanded. It's the same with the other, the other ones. Mm. And um, do you share the same values as Silvana? Like, do you sit down together and, and talk through them? No. Or does it just, you just feel no. right and have an yeah. understanding? Yeah, it feels right and we have an understanding. You don't have the same values as anyone. Your values are unique to you. So Silvana and I have got a significant values overlap mm-hmm. where our philosophy is similar. So what, what matters in the marriage or any form of relationship that on a macro level, you have a similar philosophy. Like we've got both a very similar opinion on what's been going on in the world for the last two and a half years. We've both got a similar opinion on how to broach health issues with uh, our sons and ourselves. We've both got very similar philosophy on how to invest money. Mm-hmm. We've both got, and it goes on. Yeah. Whereas if, you know, if she was a, if I, if I had my narrative I was following, let's just pretend, let's just pretend I'm a slave to the mainstream narrative and she wasn't. Well, that's already a macro philosophical difference mm. that is a, has got massive values disparity mm. already just in that statement there. Yeah. So, you know, um, it, it's just, it, and it's, what's mysterious in a beautiful way is that when all the, um, the dramas hit, you know, two years ago and all the stuff that came along with that, especially in Melbourne, um, we just both happened to default to the same side of the fence with the, with their perspective and everything. Because mm. I was thinking, man, imagine if one of us was on this side of the fence and the other one was that. Because <laughs> as you know, there are a lot of contentious issues out there right now that are really hot. Um, and you can easily, you know, press people's buttons, including our own, right? Yeah, lots of families. Lots of families, split up yeah. Because of it. And fortunately, Sylvain and I just happened to yeah. see it very similar. You know, yeah. It's like, oh my God. Lucky. Anyway, we're not going to make any comments about any of that stuff. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been a crazy. Um, what was it like in Melbourne? Uh, it was, it was surreal. I mean, to be the Maribyrnong River where I go, I've been running for twenty years. Mm. You know, to have the Department of Defence and police, you know, walking the river to make sure that you've got your mask on, was beyond any word I've got to say. You can't move from you know more than five k from your house. You can't run more than five k. You can't visit people. You know, all these crazy restrictions. Yeah. And, uh, the irony is that uh, if you look at all the numbers now, they're worse than what they were back then. So, yeah. and we're all free to, to a degree. So, yeah. anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah. 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 So, you started your own coaching business. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I met you in 2014. Mm. How long had you been doing it then? And you st- was it 2006? Yeah, 2006 in February I started officially. So, I was eight years in when we met. So, it was around that time, eight, nine years in, that... Um, uh, an old mentor of mine from the real estate world <clears throat> who I used to look up to 
he actually became a client and he hired me uh, to do a two-day training with uh, 94 of his agents or something. I remember it was 94, 15 officers represented. And it was the first time in my professional career as a coach that I made a decision to teach how to love and how to care for your clients and for yourself in a training where they were paying me $10,000 a day. Mm, mm. So he was asking for results and I thought, I'm going to be loyal to my soul and I'm going to deliver what I think matters more than anything. And if he doesn't want to pay me, it's okay. You know? And if he does, that's great. And if I, let's just see what happens. And there was a defining moment in that part of the coaching business. And what happened was I did exactly that. I taught all, all, of, all of the self-care, self-love and um, spoke about lots of other you know, high, high level sort of vulnerabilities around that. And it was one of the most phenomenal trainings I've ever been involved in, in the sense of you know, being running it. And the feedback wasn't just you know, people saying, yay. It was like people in tears, in gratitude. You know, it was full on feedback, man. <laughs> and, uh, and he couldn't believe it as uh, the owner of this, uh, t- this training business that he was running, which specialized in real estate agencies. Uh, he couldn't believe it. And it was, it was, that was when uh, my level of certainty went to a real level. Because I thought, okay, so I can actually teach this kind of material in the commercial world, mm-hmm. thrive financially, and, and, and give beyond what I ever thought was possible. Uh, so that was a defining moment. Around that year, when I met you, 2014, 2015, and that was the beginning of the birth of the emotional fitness formula. Mm-hmm. So where I began to classify and, and create frameworks around all of my ideas. And when I say my ideas, they're not my original ideas. They're, it's like... It's like music you know there are seven chords yeah you put them in a different order to will and that's an original song and that's your yeah. original song but the yeah. chords are the same the the all that musical stuff is the same but you put them in a unique order and who actually inspired me around all this was prince because prince had a thousands of songs like what an amazing creator of sound yeah human behavior is the same mm. it's putting ideas in different orders with different language different twists and you create a new thought yeah and uh, the emotional fitness formula became that, and uh, yeah, haven't looked back since. That's uh, it's been that's been an amazing ride the last you know six seven years. You spoke earlier about um, coaching in the commercial way and how you didn't you know you couldn't use woo woo language I suppose. Yeah. How was it different? Yeah. Uh, it was different in the sense of you know the whole conversation we had about identity. Mm-hmm. It was uh, taking them on that journey, introducing them into spirit. Not using the word spirit, but talking about um, becoming curious about uh, your your conscious awareness, like what is it that's seeing through your eyes, and you know what's the intelligence that's opening that rose over there. You know, did you know that that's the same as what's beating your heart? And just having conversations like that, and they were really open to all that. Um, but that evolved into uh, like information I got from near death experience research, because a big part of my library at home is all near death experience research. Yeah. where they, they, they one of the consistent themes that um, what's his name uh, Dr. Raymond Moody who's the grandfather of research in near death experience he wrote a book called Life After Life in 1975 yeah. interviewed in excess of 20,000 people and he said one of the constant themes is that your consciousness or who you are in the non-physical gets challenged with two questions and that is how well did you love and, and how much love did you allow in? Like, how well did you allow love in? Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, I was running a group training session in emotional fitness for 
10 business owners in Sydney just the other month. And the conversation evolved into that. And I, I posed those two questions to, to these business owners. And uh, my Lord, they absolute, the conversation from there was just so real. It was so beautific. It was just amazing. Um, and uh, I never thought that was possible 10 years ago. I thought, nah, you have to teach them how to set goals and targets mm. and all this boring stuff. To me, it's boring. Sorry if that's not boring <laughs> to you. But to me, um, you know, it's, it's about preparing yourself for the post-life. Which is that video that I recorded on the hub that I think you tuned into, which is where, you know, I spoke about emotional balance and the, the yoga, the psychology of yoga, which is evenness of mind. Mm. Yeah. Which Alan Watts talks about so elegantly. You know? Yeah, I, was I really just... connected with that. Um, I did the Vipassana 10 day silent retreat oh, yeah. up here in December. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it was quite extraordinary yeah yeah feel like i've been just shedding layers of myself ever since i'm sure um, i'm sure so it's been um yeah it's been pretty deep but um i can connect and resonate yeah with a lot it's with phenomenal said, yeah it's phenomenal yeah so is your like because i heard not that long ago um that yoga itself the definition of yoga is actually just living life and not holding a pose and twisting around and being That's an right. acrobat yeah. that yoga is today in the western world it's been translated into a physical expression. Yeah. But the psychology, psychological or philosophical part is, is what Alan Watts refers to as evenness of mind. Mm. Evenness of mind means practicing the skill of unmotivated action, mm. which is fancy language for any action that you embrace that it can't be motivated by fear or egotistical desire. Mm. So if I am doing something for attention or significance or look at me or the desire to gain something then that's that's a motivated action it's not an unmotivated action so i'm not practicing yoga there at all if i'm motivated by fear i'm not practicing yoga so so what he was saying was because people were saying to me i've delivered a workshop on this and people saying to me oh what about what about the desire of helping people what about the desire of the physiology of having to go there and eat because i've got a desire to eat something right now that's not what um they speak about the desire they're talking about is egocentric desire so if you can live in the you know i know this sounds cliche but if you can live in the eternal now of the action that you're taking you're taking for the the sake of the experience that the purpose of life is to experience this physicality so i I often say to some of my not so much my running friends but i often say to some of my friends that i love running for the sake of the experience of it Mm -hmm that I can't have the experience in any other plane. Yeah. Right? This is it. Yeah. So good. And, and so that's yoga. That's evenness of mind where you're performing an unmotivated task, which means I'm performing the task for the experience of the task, not for what I'm gaining or, for, or, or from what I'm running away from. Mm-hmm. I'm not running away from anything and I'm not running toward anything. I'm experiencing the experience of the task at hand. So if I'm going for a walk, it's not because I want to lose weight or gain energy or whatever I'm doing. It's like I'm enjoying the walk for the walk's sake. And then what happens is your heart gives you inspired action. So the next thing you've got to do, Mm, which is not, it's just an inspired action. So whatever that is, a glass of water, that's an inspired action. It's not, that's not a motivated experience. So the, the art of uh, psychological yoga is this evenness of mind and bringing that awareness to everything that you do. And you check in with yourself. So am I doing this on a motivated basis? Am I doing this on a pure, is this a clean action? which is just for the sake of the experience of it. Mm. And uh, 
So the more you do that, the more emotional balance you will gain. Mm-hmm. And when you are emotionally balanced, it according to some of the near-death, near-death experience researchers, it sets you up where you enter into a plane of consciousness post-death of body that will be more pleasant rather than not so pleasant. Yeah. Because all the planes exist. Mm. Yeah. It's what a, a beautiful way of living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just everything, just working in beautiful harmony, being yeah. in the moment, harmony yeah. with yourself, emotions, yeah. physically, and then with the earth. Noticing the flow. Yeah. Yeah. So when Sylvain and I bought our house just two weeks ago, so we, we have been... When something's meant to be in your timeline of inspired action, it'll just happen effortlessly. And uh, when we bought our home, it was effortless. Like, you know, we, we were inspecting the home. It was like, oh, my God. And then I said to Sylv, why don't you call that builder fellow that you met in Coolum? Because those friends of ours who were renovating here. And, um, and I said, well, why don't you ring him and see if we can make a time next week, right? So she rings him and the guy says, oh, I'm only 10 minutes away. I'll come over now. So the next thing you know, first inspection, we've got the builder there already mm. and everything is just ease and flow. And I, I knew already then that that was going to be our home because mm. of the flow. Yeah. It's the same in relationship. It's the same with anything in life. So if you're, if you're, if you're a slave to motivated action, mm. you'll be meeting a lot of resistance in your life. It's a fascinating topic and we could go on it for days, but uh, that's, that's true yoga there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Not just sitting in a room for an hour well, if you enjoy the experience of it and yeah, you're that, doing yeah, it the experience, that's true. The experience yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah, I and, suppose, yeah, you know, the actual, the, the concept of The evenness of, of body, evenness yoga. of mind. Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. Well, I've just taken up surfing and every now and then I'll be reading a surf mag and I'll be really fascinated by the history and, and the moves and stuff and then I'll be like, oh, I'll go surf. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a snap or I'm going to do a cutback or a layback or whatever yeah. you call it. Yeah. And, you know, I really want to get out there and do this thing. And then I just get so frustrated that I can't do it. And yeah. then other times I'll just pull up at the ocean, have a look, and it'll just pull me into the water and I'll yeah. have the best surf ever. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. And, that's um, right. It's a totally different experience. It is. Yeah. yeah. Completely. There you go. How, uh, you must have thought about how you want to die. How I want to die? I want to die uh, well. Yeah. As in, uh, like Wayne Dyer, in bed, healthy, 100%. Die healthy. Yeah. yeah. Take my last breath as I'm sleeping. Mm. but who knows maybe. and emotionally as well oh emotionally I'm ready I, I, I don't want to say this but I'm going to say it anyway I, if, if it was to happen now I'm, I'm at peace yeah yeah. I'm happy with my contribution but the, the thing that tears at my soul more than anything else is don't want to so I've said that and now I'm going to say the opposite but I don't want to leave my 13 year olds and I don't want to leave my wife yeah. at this stage of our life right so yeah. if it happens it happens but but fundamentally, on a philosophical, psychological, spiritual, energetic, emotional level, there's no fear yeah. of dying. Because like, yeah. once it happens, it just you're you're out. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. You're yeah. out. It. You're exited. Yeah. Well, you know, if if a lot more people thought like that, you wouldn't be able to control the That's world right. because you know a lot of people got with all the mandates and the control of the governments. It's like I think of. Um, uh, I've read it again for the third or fourth time, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, where I'm ad-libbing to his words here, but he said something along the lines of, no matter what they do to my body, no matter what they do to my, you know, to my spirit or whatever, they can't touch who I am on the inside. Mm. They can't touch my soul. They can't touch my thoughts. They can't touch anything as much as they were virtually killing mm. so many people every, every, every minute uh, in those awful concentration camps. The way that... 
and it's and I translate it with things mean or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it's and it's the same with um, with what's with, at the peak of all the shutdowns and lockdowns, and all the hoo ha in Melbourne. Um, and I said to Silv, they can't they can't touch who we are, mm. you know, because that's the that's the um, that's the freedom. And the, the challenge I had with that was because to me the definition of freedom is being free to live in alignment to your values. Mm. That's what I believe freedom is. Not mm. not to do whatever you want whenever you want. I reckon that's just plain old responsibility. Uh, but to live your life, to be allowed, to, for you to, to allow yourself to live your life in alignment to your values is freedom. And that's why a lot of people in Russia and Ukraine are not free because they are just, other than the obvious hell, they're, uh, you know, a lot of things are happening that are grossly against their values. Yeah. So many Russians who you know, are against the war and don't understand what's going on. Imagine living in a country like that right now. How can you be free? I'm not mm-hmm. talking about freedom to walk across the street. I'm talking about freedom to live your values, you know? Yeah. But that's a whole other conversation too. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where we've got to get careful, eh? Even here in Australia, or just the world, they're trying to take it, a, you know, take that away, bring in that stuff. Yeah, well, there's, there's enough good people here on the Sunshine Coast to... That's it keep everything right <laughs> yeah there is yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah I suppose I just want to like uh, with what you said there's, like today's a good day to die like if you can live your I don't know who said that I know Aubrey Marcus I don't know if you know him he uses it a lot today's a good day to die it's just what you said is like yeah you you live into your values you're you don't want to die but yeah. you know if, if it happened yeah yeah it's like it's yeah. like a Ferris wheel it's yeah. like uh, are we going to get off and you know do, I, you've been on a Ferris wheel yep yeah just pretend that you have Tristan if you haven't um, but I remember <laughs> being on a Ferris wheel going oh uh, they're going to stop us now oh no they're going to let us go again oh yeah. so good so good and you're enjoying it mm. uh, and you know it's going to stop <laughs> and then but then it stops and then you, for some reason they do every odd one and they let you through again it's like oh my god I'm going to live another circuit <laughs> yeah and then eventually you stop and you just accept that you have to now get off it's the yeah. same the, 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 the body's a Ferris wheel you just got to get off at some point that's it but when you uh, are convinced that you th- that this is everything that you are, um, that's scary. Very scary, yeah. What is it about this emotional fitness hub that's so meaningful to you? Well, what I love is every Wednesday I get to do a little mini workshop. It goes for about 15, 20 minutes. It's a video that you tune into. Um, and I just get to teach something about emotional health or about spirituality that adds a lot of value to that community. And I love it. Um, a lot of the people there are also part of my actual program, which is, you know, really exciting. That's, that's actually being, can I, can I do a little promo on that? Yeah, yeah we'd love you to. Yeah. 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 So, um, if there's, it's being launched again in May, it's a one hour webinar for people to attend if they want to know more about how this emotional fitness formula stuff actually works. Um, you can actually go to a, like a waiting list. It's just simply effprogram.com. So effprogram.com, you can put your name there. All that means is that you're guaranteed to get an email to say, hey, the webinar is coming up. It's on May 12. Uh, it's a reminder. And then people can come along there and check that out and uh, decide whether they want to go down their path with me. It's, it's, a, it's a coaching program for you, for coaches. So it's on two levels. Uh, first level is where the person can, uh, you know, go on a self-development ride and learn about the actual emotional fitness formula for themselves and for their relationships and whatever else they want to apply to. And then we've also got what's called the founder program, which is where uh, coaches and consultants 
can use the formula as a plug-in to their core offering and their their business. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a business coach could use it as a plug-in to their work or, you know, so it's a whole coaching program. It's like a mini coaching school in a way, I guess you could say, um, that helps people become qualified in, in, in my certification program, which is what the founder program is. So that's the essence and that's the core of my business these days. And it's very exciting because a lot of them, um, we, we seem to be attracting, you know, phenomenal people with great souls, great hearts, open mm. souls, you know, mm. who've got clean intention to make a difference in their communities and their markets and their, you know, where, where, whoever they work with. Um, so that's what takes up most of my professional time. Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, and why is this work so meaningful to you? Uh, to me, it's just my it's 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 uh, embracing my own superpowers, my own strengths. Yeah. You know, um, it's an expression of that. And if people, for the people who come on board the bus, it's phenomenal fun, and and it's not for everyone. But um, I, I think it's important to have a healthy outlet to express your own superpowers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, love it. Fantastic. Well, um, yeah, I really appreciate having you here with us and um, it's time to connect. Yeah, I, I just want to make one. Uh, I've just noticed like what something's just come to me is that for Joe to, to find his shed his skin and um, find himself and what he was really meant to do is that he actually went back to Mother Nature. Mm. Yeah, I did. And sat and listened and it all came through. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Happy days. Yeah, sweet.